Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We are in our series called New Normal. Today we're jumping back in to Joshua chapter 10. And as you go there, you know, and it's Father's Day weekend, thinking about how honestly fun it is to be a dad. And this week I got that fun on overdrive because I was down at the James River Church Kids Camp. And so I was a camp counselor for the black team. And uh, we were a lean, mean fighting machine. And if you doubt that, our name was the Black Mambas. So um, we, we have so much fun at camp. And you know, as a counselor, you have the responsibility, dare I say, the obligation to rev your team, to get them fired up. Because like any good camp at the James River Kids Camp, there is an accumulation of points. There will be winners. Spirit points will be handed out. And so you've got to fire up the kids in your group to be ready to accumulate those points. You're doing it for the kids, just for the kids. Glory of God, you're doing it for the kids. So we started pretty intense. We knew our name, thanks to Elliot, was going to be the Black Mambas. But we had to create a team cheer, and our team cheer was really good. Black Mamba, Black Mamba, better run for your mama. Like, come on, come on. That's a good cheer. That's a good cheer. And we sang it a lot. We sang it a lot. I may lose my voice during the service because I've literally been screaming half the week. So the Black Mamas entered the week with enthusiasm, poise. We were ready. We were cheering. We were screaming. We were energetic. We entered every competition with maximum intensity, and the the team did great. The team did great. But the pinnacle of kids camp is mud day. Not Monday, mud day. All mud, as muddy as you can possibly get. And so we entered this, the kids were fired up, we had face paint on, half my face was painted. I had paint down my arms and my neck, I'd paint everywhere, just ready, ready. I was just, guys, we gotta be, we gotta be laser focused, okay? This is the end of the points, we gotta make sure we get all the points here. And so they did the first, uh, first competition at Mud Day and they did great. But when we got to the second competition, they announced that it was gonna be leaders versus leaders. So. Man, you want to set an example, a godly example, (laughs) a winning example. So there's a rule for Monday. You have to wear closed-toed shoes on Monday because they don't want anybody getting hurt, and it makes, it's a great rule. I just knew what would happen, though, is my shoe was going to get stuck in the mud, and then that would hurt my chances of winning. And so as we got to the finish line, I discreetly discarded my shoes. And we took off. We went under the net, army crawl, through the tunnels, over this obstacle. And then we got to the tires filled with mud. But it's like NFL training camp. You know, you're bouncing through the tires. On the second tire, my big toenail caught the edge of the tire and ripped it in half. I slowed down just slightly. 
from here on out, I will always wear closed-toed shoes on, mo- on Monday. I will always do that. I will tell you this, though, and I'm a little bit proud of this. I still went from that and did tug-of-war. I Come on. Yeah, that's right. That's a dad right there. Come on. Come on. So if you want to see, I just thought I would show you this because Monday was so much fun, even though I couldn't walk for two days after it. Uh, it was so much fun. Here's a picture of Owen and Ellie and I. Look at Elliot's eyes. Like, he just, that's intense, man. That's intense. I, I, I take credit for that because I was his leader. So I was like, we're going all in. So we had so much fun in camp. And I felt like, you know, I had, I had the, the mantle of example. My job was to, you know, kind of set the pace. My job was to, you know, fuel the enthusiasm. And, you know, it's important. I think as a leader in any context, as an influencer, you know, camp, mud day, that's, hey, that's important on a thing like mud day, to be the example for your boys of going all in, the kids and the crew to go all in. But how much more so that in the life of faith, are we called to, are you called to, am I called to set the example of believing God to do big things in the life of people? That no matter where you find yourself, whether you're a dad or a mom, whether you're married or single, young or old, wherever you find yourself in your journey with Jesus, there is a calling on your life for your expectation and your anticipation to rise to the level of believing big things, believing for God to do big things in your life and in the lives of people around you. And honestly, when we get to Joshua chapter 10, that's what the passage is all about. And I'm so glad because believing God for big things is critical for you entering the new normal he has for you. God has a new normal for you, but it is contingent on, in many ways, you embracing the willingness to believe God to do big things in your life, to believe God to do big things through your life. I want to believe God to do big things. This is what the passage centers on. I want to look at it with you. Joshua chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem. This is the first time, interestingly enough, this is the first time that Jerusalem is mentioned in the whole Bible, this this chapter. Heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities because it was greater than Ai and all of its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent Ahohem, king of Hebron, and Piram, king of Jarmuth, and Japheth, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying this, okay, come up to me and help me. Let's strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. 
It's an interesting text for a number of reasons. One is that Joshua, in leading the people of Israel in their conquest of the Promised Land, has only ever had to fight one army at a time. So he goes to Jericho, then he goes to Ai. It's, it's one army at a time. And now, all of a sudden, he has, through this treaty with Gibeon, and we talked about how last week, how the Gibeonites came to Joshua and the people of Israel, and they tricked them. They came with moldy bread and, and worn out rations, and they said, you know what, we're from a distant country, and we've heard about all about what God has done for you, and so would you be willing to make a treaty with us only for Joshua and the people of Israel to find out? These guys were basically their neighbors, and they had been tricked, they had been duped. And now, as a result of that treaty, part of the consequence is that the treaty has been taken as a declaration of war by these kingdoms in the southern part of Israel. It's not Israel yet, but it will become Israel. And so Adonai Zedek, he musters all of these four other kings. And so now five armies, instead of taking one army on at a time, five armies march on the Gibeonites. And in this moment, the question is going to be, how will Joshua believe God for the big thing that is staring him down? And I think that's the question for any of us because Joshua is not the only one in this life who will face big things, who will face huge challenges across this room, people watching online, at the North Campus, at the West Campus, at the Joplin Campus, in every room, in every setting, there are men and women who are facing challenges that are so far beyond you that you could feel a lot like Joshua sitting in your seat this morning as he's got five armies bearing down on the Gibeonites and he's been requested to rush to their defense. How is he going to believe God to do something big in the midst of insurmountable odds? And this text is exceedingly instructive for how we believe God to do big things in our lives. And the first is this that you believe your big God for big things. You believe your big God for big things. Let's go back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 10 and verse six. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come to us quickly, save us, help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. It's interesting, before Joshua ever gets to the battlefield, he's already hearing from God. Before he gets to the battlefield, he's already hearing from God. He's already got a word for God from, from God. And if he's hearing from God, what the text is inferring, the assumption of the narrative is that he's leaning in and he's listening for God's voice, that he's seeking the Lord, that he's talking to God, that he's praying for God's help, that he's praying for God's direction. In fact, we know that in part by just their position. Joshua is marching from Gilgal. Now, you might say, well, that's where they were camped, or that's just a geographical location. 
But part of what is true within the story, within the narrative flow of Joshua is that Gilgal is a place where Joshua meets with God. Gilgal is a place again and again where Joshua hears from God, where God directs him, where God leads him, where God guides him. And so in this moment where Joshua doesn't know what to do, where do we find him? We find him back in the spot where he hears from God. Because Joshua understands this, the issue is never the size of your problem, it's always the size of your God. It's always your connection to your sovereign, the sovereign king of creation. It's always that connection that matters. What inhibits a lot of people from asking God for big things is sometimes we're not connected to the source, we're not positioned to hear from God, and at other times what inhibits us is that we have our eyes solely on the problem. We have our eyes on the big thing instead of our big God. Joshua is at Gilgal, he's positioned to hear from God. He's positioned to listen to God because he understands what's primary in his situation is not the problem. What's primary in his situation is his access of God's power. He needs to access the power of God. He needs to access God's power available to him in the midst of facing this problem. God's power is available to Joshua, but he's got to lean in, he's got to listen, and he's got to position himself to hear from God. I would just say there's some of you across this room and you're facing big things. They're so far beyond you, and yet what has tied you up in knots is that you look at your problem, and not only are your, are your eyes on the problem, but you're evaluating the problem, whether or not you can trust God with it. Some of you are saying, well, this problem is way too big. There are others who are saying, well, this problem is way too small. I don't know if God would care about that. Here's the amazing thing. With God, there are no big things and small things because he's equally able to handle everything. Everything. There's nothing too difficult. There's nothing too small. There's nothing that he doesn't notice in your life. There's nothing he doesn't take an interest in in your life. And there's no problem insurmountable that he can't step in and in a moment give you a word that fuels confidence that he is with you, for you, and that he's going to bring about the victory. But all of that hangs on how you view him. Because if you have a small God, there is no problem that won't be too big. And you will never ever ask God to do big things. Just won't happen. This is why as a dad, I am intent, and as parents, Becky and I are intent on positioning our kids in environments, in places, in spaces that we know will enlarge their view of God. Because here's the thing, even when I say, do you have a small God? God doesn't get small. It's just our vision of him is small. Joshua is somebody who has a big God because he's positioned himself in ways, in places, in spaces that have enlarged his vision of God. And that's the same thing that Becky and I want to do for Owen and Elliot. That's why they were at camp this week. Because I know at camp they would not only have a ton of fun and get really muddy. 
But I knew they would be in an environment that would enlarge their vision of God. That they would walk away from that time seeing God as more mighty, seeing God as more awesome, seeing God as more powerful, seeing God as more holy. I knew that would happen. And here's the thing. I watched it take place with my own eyes. I watched them in the services lean into God in a way that I hadn't seen before. I watched them talk about God and take notes. I watched, I watched it happen before my eyes. And not only that, then they got to hear the stories of what God was doing in that environment. What do I mean by that? That there were a number of campers healed at camp this last week. There was a girl, she came in, her thumb was in a brace, no mobility, she had broken it. And she came into camp very sad because she wasn't going to get to do everything that she wanted to do at camp. And so on that first night, the campers in her team gathered around her and some of the leaders gathered around her and they prayed that God would heal her thumb. Her mom was at camp. Her mom said, why don't you take off the brace and see if you can move it? Instantly, full mobility. Her thumb completely healed. They got to witness that. They got to see that. That's amazing. A girl was there. She was born deaf, never has heard. Her parents have prayed since she was born that God would heal her and give her hearing. At camp, she heard for the first time. She took out her hearing aids and she said, I can hear. That's amazing. God started the miracle of her healing at camp. And Owen and Elliot were there. I wanted to position them. I wanted to, them to position them in a place and in a space that would enlarge their vision of who God is, that would enlarge the scale and the scope of what they thought God might do and how they thought God might work because believing for big things starts with believing your big God for big things. Honestly, this is the importance of being in the prayer meeting. This is the importance of being in the prayer meeting on Wednesday night because as you're in God's presence, what can't help but happen, as you're in an environment of faith and expectation, all of a sudden you feel your faith begin to rise. You feel your faith begin to grow about what God might do. That's the importance of your kids being in youth. Your teenagers being in James River Youth where they're in an environment where they're seeing other teenagers who believe God for big things or are looking for God to do big things and all of a sudden their faith rises. What might God do in my life? It's, this is the, the power of you positioning your family in the house of God. What he does is he enlarges their view of who he is. Believing God for big things starts with believing your big God for big things, but that's certainly not where it ends. Believing God for big things not only sees God as big, but then battles for big things. Battles for big things. Let's go back to the text real quick and look at this in Joshua chapter 10, verse seven. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow. It's an amazing passage. But it's interesting, it says that 
Once Joshua gets this word from God that, hey, I'm going to give you the victory, Joshua immediately tells his troops, okay, we're going to march through the night. We're going to march through the night 25 miles to Gibeon. Why? God's going to give you the victory. Why not sleep in? Come on. God's going to give you. Joshua, you can relax. You don't have to march through the night. Just sit back, grab a lemonade, and watch what God does. But Joshua understands a principle that is critical if we're going to see God do big things, and that is that we have to battle for big things. That in order to see God do what he has promised to do, in order to see the victory that God has promised to bring, that requires us to step into the fight. There's, 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 a, there's a need for every single person, every single follower of Jesus. When you feel like God has spoken to you, it's time to march. It's not time to sit back and coast. Joshua arms his men and they move for 25 miles through the cover of darkness so that they can ambush the enemy because Joshua understands that believing for big things means that they're going to battle for big things. They're going to have to battle for it. Here's what I would say. Some of you are praying for big things, but you're not marching. Not marching. You're praying for God to move in your marriage, but you got to march. Gentlemen, you've got to date your wife. Gentlemen, you've got to pursue your bride. Some of you moms and dads, you are praying for God to do big things in your kids. But in order for God to do big things in your kids, perhaps it starts with you getting up a little bit earlier in the morning and spending time in the presence of God. Maybe it starts with you marching by putting a priority on being in God's house in a way that you never have before. There are some of you and you're praying, God, I need you to move in my finances. I'm believing for a financial miracle. It's a great thing to pray for, but there's no marching. All of a sudden, what are you going to have to do? I'm going to have to start in a faith-filled, expectant way, putting action to what I believe God will do. And that means if I need God to move in my finances, I'm going to trust him with my finances. I'm going to march because I believe I'm going to battle for big things. There's a, there's a, there's a need. There's an obligation. If I want to see big things, then I've got to do battle for big things. Some of you are, are praying, hey, God, I want you. I, I know it's your desire to, to, for my coworker to come to faith in Christ and Savior, as Savior. And so, God, I'm just praying. I know your will is that none should perish and that all should come to repentance. And so, God, would you just send somebody to tell them about Jesus? Here's what you have to realize. He already has. He sent you. And what he's waiting for you to do, because he wants to work through you and he wants to work in you, is that he's waiting you for, for you to go to battle for the big thing you're believing him to do. And as you step out in faith, you're going to watch him move. How do I know that? Go back to Joshua chapter 10, look at verse 11. There were more who died because of hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So what happens in this setting is they go to battle, and as they go to battle, all of these large hailstones begin to rain down on the enemy. And what they observe is that, okay, they did what they could do, then God did what only he could do. 
Here's what happens when you and I choose to battle for big things. God multiplies the effectiveness of what we're doing in battling for big things beyond what I could ever do on my own. It's beyond what you could ever do on your own. When I say, you know what, God, I'm gonna begin to step out in faith and act in faith-filled obedience according to what you've spoken to my heart, according to what I believe your will is. What can't help but happen is that God unleashes his supernatural supply in that situation to go way beyond what you thought could have taken place. Joshua, no doubt, thought they were gonna have to fight every single person. But God said, no, no, remember, I'm gonna fight for you. But did the hailstones rain down before they started marching or after they started marching? Before they went to battle or after they went to battle? They saw God move supernaturally after they moved in faith. Some of you are saying, God, I want you to do big things. God, I, I want you to heal me. But you've never stepped out and asked for people to pray for you along the front. Just never have. There's something, there's something powerful about you stepping out and saying, God, I'm not only going to position myself to hear from you, but then I'm going to start doing battle to see you do supernaturally what only you can do. And when you do that, there is a multiplier in your life that God is only able to bring. So we believe for big things by believing our big God for big things. We believe for big things by battling for big things. But finally, we believe for big things by praying boldly for big things. We've got to boldly pray for big things. Look at this as we go back to the text. Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. That time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon. And moon in the valley of Ajalon. Now some of you are thinking as you're reading that, the sun doesn't move. The earth rotates around the sun. I don't, Sun stands still, moon stands still. What you have to understand is that Joshua's doing the same thing the weatherman might do tonight on the news. The weatherman is probably gonna tell you the time that the sun is going to set. Does the sun set? It looks like it sets, but we know that it actually doesn't set, that the earth is orbiting the sun, revolving around the sun, and it's, it's revolving on its axis. So Joshua is using the language of what we can observe, the language of observation. But what he is asking for is literally for the earth to stop on its axis. That's a big prayer. That's a, that's a big prayer. God, I need the planet that's rotating through this solar system. I need it to stop right now. I need you to pause the created order to work in my situation so that we can see the enemy defeated like you promised they would be defeated. Now, and the sun stood still and the moon stopped. 
until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not what is written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. In other words, a 24-hour period turned into a 48-hour period because one man prayed and believed God. It's bold prayers. If you want to see God do big things, at some point we've got to step out and begin to pray bold prayers with the expectation that God is going to move in response to the prayers of his people. Now, it's not simply that Joshua prayed a bold prayer. There are some aspects to what Joshua prayed and how he prayed with boldness that are instructive for us. If we're gonna pray bold prayers, these crazy big requests, and see God do big things in our lives. And the first is, is this, that Joshua, as he prays, he prays publicly. His bold prayer was public. Joshua said, in the sight of Israel, sun stands still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. He prayed in the sight of Israel. He prayed in front of everybody. Now, it's one thing for you to quietly whisper. You're at work. Your boss says, man, we've got so much to do. I just wish there were more hours in the day. And you're like, oh, we can do something about that. Like, I read Joshua chapter 10. We could totally do something about that. So you go, God, amen. That's different than you going, hey, we can do something about that. Everybody gather around. Come on. Get everybody out of their offices. Come on. Everybody, everybody. I'm going to pray real quick. Sun, stand still. Moon, don't move. Amen. That's different. That's what we call gutsy. That's different. Joshua prays publicly. Why does Joshua pray publicly? Well, I think there are at least a couple of reasons. One is because he knows that his faith-filled public prayer is going to build the faith of the people around him. There's something about hearing people around you pray big prayers that moves you to pray big prayers. There's something, have you ever had somebody come up to you and you were, maybe you weren't feeling well and they prayed for you and all of a sudden you're like, wow, That feels so good. I I feel like I can trust God. I feel like I can believe God in this situation. There's something about that. He wanted to build the faith of the people around him. And so instead of praying privately on the battlefield, he prayed publicly because he wanted all of them to rise in their expectation to believe God to do big things. But that's not the only thing. He also wanted that when the sun stood still and the moon stood still, that it wasn't just a fluke, that people weren't like, you know, oh, wow, look, this day seems really long. This is an odd natural phenomenon. Joshua didn't want to be the guy who was like, no, hey, I prayed for this. Hey, hey, I, I prayed over there. And they're all like, oh, yeah, sure you did. You know, like, he wants them to hear him pray, not because it's about him, but he wants them to know when it happens that there's only one way it happened, that God did it. God did it. That this just didn't happen. It's not some weird random accident. The God of the universe intervened in the created order for the sake of people to do something mighty, to put his power on display in the lives of his people. God did it. God did it. 
Here, here's what I would say. Prayer is a game changer. Prayer is a game changer. When any one of us, when we see a situation and instead of shrinking back, we enter into it with a confident expectation and we say, oh, is your back hurting today? Yeah, it's just been really sore. Can I pray for you about that? And then you go, God, I pray that you would heal their back in Jesus' name. Why is that so powerful? Not only because you're praying, but you in that moment are pointing them to the source of all healing. You're pointing them to the source of life. Especially if they don't know Jesus, think about how moving that moment is. All of a sudden, you're causing things to enter into the equation of the way that they process their life and their situation that perhaps they've never ever thought about before. And it was as simple as you having the faith and the courage and the boldness to say, I'll pray for you. I believe God wants to take what he's doing. When we talk about healing at camps, when we talk about healing in this room, he wants that to bust out of the four walls of the church as people get bold in praying for people, as people, instead of privately praying alone, they publicly say, you know what, I'll pray. I'll believe God for you. I'll believe God with you. Something powerful about Joshua's prayer because it was public. It was public. Not only that, though, but it was a bold prayer. This bold prayer was for something no one had ever seen before. Never seen it. Look at this. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. What he's noting there is not how remarkable it is that God listened to people, but he's noting that God listened to somebody and it pa he pressed pause on the created order. That's astounding. And yet I realize there are some who, and as we read that story and as we read that prayer, you're saying, uh, could God really do that? I mean, do you think that really happened? Because, I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, that, that affects like the tides. I mean, you'd have tidal waves. I mean, the, the fallout from a prayer like that would be so destructive. It would be, it would be globally cataclysmic. A couple of things on that. One, if God is able to pause the earth rotating on its axis, I think he's able to handle all of the other effects of that, okay? And I wanna remind you of what Paul writes in Colossians chapter one, look at this. For by him, same God, for by him, all things, how many things? All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. All things, all things. This is the God Joshua prayed to. Here's what stops a lot of people from praying for big things. You won't pray for big things if you don't believe God can do it or will do it. You won't pray for it. If you don't believe God can do big things, you won't pray for big things. 
If you don't believe God heals, you won't pray for healing. If you don't believe that God provides, you won't pray for provision. If you don't believe God is powerful enough to heal your marriage, you won't pray for your marriage. There's something about praying for what you've never seen before. What stops a lot of us dead in our tracks in praying for big things is that we can only pray to the limit of what we can understand. Uh, I don't feel comfortable asking for that because I'm not really sure how, how would that work? I mean, we're only comfortable praying to the lid, to the, to the stretch of what we can rationalize. And so rationalization becomes the lid of our prayer life. God, I can't see, my, I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't process how you would possibly do that. And because we can't process it, we don't pray for it. Here's what I would have you understand. When you get beyond praying for what you have seen or can imagine, now you're in the stratosphere that God wants your prayer life to operate in. Why do I say that? Think about what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Take your wildest dreams and go way beyond that. God can do that. Oh, God can stop the earth on its axis? You better believe it. He can do that. He created it. He holds every particle of matter in the universe together simultaneously by the word of his power. The fact that you have air coming in and out of your lungs is because God is sustaining your life in this moment. He can do that. Bold prayer has to move beyond what we have seen or what we can see into the realm of the unseen if we want to see God do big things. And finally, this is so important, bold prayer, this bold prayer was honored. God honored it. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. In the English Standard Version, it says, when the Lord heeded a man. When the Lord heeded a person. That word heed can be translated obey. Sounds a little bit like obey. God obeyed. God made his power in that moment subservient to the prayer of his people. Do you know that you have access? You have power. God has given you power. The Bible says to boldly approach the throne of grace. Guess what? You don't have to tiptoe up to God and say, God, would, would you be willing maybe kind of sort of to think about possibly doing this? No, God says, I'm inviting you to boldly come up to me and make your request known to me, boldly. Why? Because bold prayer honors God. Bold prayer honors him. Not only do we know it honors him because he heeded the request, but also because he, it pointed to his power and lined up with his promise. He said he would fight for them. And then as they prayed through their prayer, his power went on display and the victory was won. God did it. God did it.
I think it's interesting, verse 14, this phrase, there has never been a day like it before or since. What the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the writer of Scripture, is pointing out is not just how unusual this occurrence was. Man, there's never been a day like that. It was very unusual. What our attention is being drawn to is the extreme to which God will go to meet the needs of his people. There are no lengths. There is no ceiling that God's power bumps up against in your life. It just doesn't happen. There, there's no extreme to which God will not go to work supernaturally in your life and through your prayers, but it's contingent upon every one of us saying, I'm gonna believe for God to do big things because I believe he's a big God, and because he's a big God, I'm gonna go to battle for big things, and because he's a big God, I'm gonna boldly approach him and pray for big things. And as we do, here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna watch God go before us, go before us in ways we could never, ever, ever imagine. It's gonna happen as we trust him, as we believe him, as we look to him to do big things.